to Episode 3 of Crossing Darkness, a podcast where we explore the World of Darkness role-playing game with an emphasis on crossing the streams. In this episode, your host, Frozen Fallout, has a conversation with writer, GM, and LARPer, Rick Hines. Watch your step as we move further into the abyss in our attempt at Crossing Darkness. My first question for you is, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've done in the gaming world, and what kind of things that, that you know about. I'm Rick Hines. I'm a novelist. I write uh, urban fantasy, post-apocalyptic horror stuff. Uh, my first novel was The Seventh Age Dawn, a bloody apocalyptic battle about eating demon hearts and and magic crashing back into today's world. In the gaming community, I am sort of best known for writing for Geek and Sundry. I write a weekly web article series called GM Tips. It was hosted by Matt Mercer and Satine Phoenix. I write the article supplements that go along with that and you know help provide tips and things in that regard about how to be a GM. Also, I have been a storyteller for about 18 years, uh, maybe going on 19. I, since I was about 12 years old, I've been running games and largely in the White Wolf sort of Shadowrun-esque world uh, uh, darkness uh, scenarios. I um, have also written a few game modules and done a bit of freelance writing work for various uh, game studios that are out there. So from just about every aspect of the industry, from publishing to creating content or coming up with ideas, amount of playing because when you are stuck as the eternal GM, you, you, are, you do forever. I feel you there. I've definitely been the lone GM in many of my groups and been very interesting to, to meet somebody that's so steeped in the game industry. Sounds like you do a lot of writing, you know, doing a lot of working with players and running a lot of games. So what are some of the, the games that you're currently running? Or what are some of the things that, that your favorite games that you're running now or that you've run in the past? Favorite games that I've run in the past are actually uh, Shadowrun. I mean, I know that uh, I've come up with a White Wolf background, but Shadowrun provides probably the best game format in a heist mission scenario to have when you get to like be a bit older and all of your friends never have the same gaming schedule. A Shadowrun campaign, I can throw down some books and be like, yo, runners, get here. And whoever shows up at the table has a one night mission that you can finish, run, and be done with. So I'm really appreciating that right now. Yeah, I, I love uh, Shadowrun, the concept of just jump, being able to jump right into the, the game with the idea of uh, the, the Shadowrunning mission type stuff, like you're, you're a Shadowrunner, so you know what you're doing in the game for the most part, and the, what is the movie that that's very similar from, Johnny Mnemonic, or? Uh, the, well, there's the new Netflix movie, Bright. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is, uh, I I was really wishing that that would have been based in the Shadowrun universe, actually. But then, well, I thought about it more as a writer, too, and I'm like, well, I, I would prefer not to be, I could see how a writer would not want to be tied down by another universe and story when they're trying to create something maybe similar, but very different. Well, so other games in regards to similars and something different is the parody between Eclipse Phase and Altered Carbon. I'm a massive fan of Eclipse Phase. Eclipse Phase happens to be one of my favorite game systems of all time. 
and it has arguably definitively changed my storytelling style 100%, because I have a lot to say about what Eclipse Phase uh, brought to the table in a game aspect. And I ran and did a lot of storytelling for them, and I, I would love to, to pick back up an Eclipse Phase game uh, group again. Currently, I'm actually running 5th edition D&D, which is a bucked trend for me is because I had sworn off D&D, I think much like you have. Yeah. I had sworn off D&D and got back into it with the 5th edition because I'm running my own homebrew D&D game, which is sort of just the 7th age world setting, just using the rule set because I tend to steal rule sets that work to achieve a goal that I want to do and the deity system in D&D does what I want it to do and then my favorite game system of all time my favorite setting is none other than Wraith the Oblivion oh oh my god dude you just hit a button I uh I love love Wraith I've tried to run a few games with my friends but I've spent a lot of time just reading over material for it, and I find the Wraith setting to be one of the most intriguing World of Darkness settings because it's not Earth. There's a beautiful thing you can do with it, and I need to find a player who I can do it with again because when I first started gaming, my first game I ever played was Wraith, and it was one GM and one player by candlelight. Ooh. Wow. And it, was, it was the story of how you died and what you did to resolve that. And it, the game was chilling. It was heartbreaking. And it, like, owned for everything. And then I got into, like, Helldivers and, you know, the different guilds and the politics and the emotions and the passions. And everything with Wraith already just has a baked-in human experience. And the thing that blew my mind is I was at an author's conference at WindyCon uh, right up here in, in, in Chicago. And... Tim Akers was sitting next to me and I was like, Tim Akers, I know that name. I know that name. Where do I know that name from? And I Google it and I realized he wrote the Wraith books. And I'm like, ooh, I still have all the first edition printed ones. I mean, where I'm sitting doing this podcast, I have the books sitting right here. They're that close to me at all times. Did you get the 20th anniversary edition? I, I did. Have you seen the new one they came out with, uh, Beckett's... Uh, Jihad Diary. Yo, just Jihad got it. Diary. Yep. Yes. Just got that. I carry that with me. It's heavy as fuck, but I've been reading it. Got the PDF and everything, but personally find that to be one of the best vampire books I've ever read. Just for the, the format, the feeling, following around Beckett, getting an update on every single city, the, the, the cyclical nature of Gehenna is something I hadn't thought about before that book. And now it's like steeped inside of my Dark Ages character who's just talking about the cyclical Gehenna now. I think it's one of the, arguably one of the most important supplement books they needed to do to update their meta plot to the current day. Because I mean, I, I think in the, the pre-show we were talking about sort of, you know, how vampire is a nostalgic fiction of Katana's trench coats, angst, and you know, 1990s you know, subculture has arguably been outpaced and stripped by modern day personal technology devices and just the nature of culture, like nihilism as a general bit, sort of that, that gothy angsty thing is a subculture, it's still there, but it's it's not as mainstream or arguably as a prominent subculture as it was in, in the 90s. 
the Jihad book actually brings things back up to 2018. Yeah, no, that's something that I felt was lacking in the Vampire 20 book was the, the update to the setting. There was no real update to the setting. And then they came out with Becca's Jihad Diary and I was... Well, here it is. Here's the updates. I like how they go to each and every single city. So they like start in Milwaukee. On the Tremere have left. Some chick had found a way to break the blood bond or something like that. Then he goes to Chicago. He meets up with uh, the Archon, uh, the Bruja Archon. Uh, Theo Bell? Yes, Theo Bell. So yeah, he meets up with him and then he goes to Washington, D.C embasing kind of the concept of what I want to do with LARPs on the Jihad, Becca's Jihad diary of just going around and being like, hey, I'm recording. I'm going to record all of this stuff, you know, and then, and it's kind of funny because I've been getting some of the same responses that Beckett gets in the book with, like, just snide comments about how I'm recording or shut that fucking thing off, mm -hmm. you know, in player, in character type thing. It's, just, it's, it's been really fun to kind of live the life of Beckett by going to these LARPs. How have you been finding the LARPs? Because I didn't talk about it too much when I first talked about it, but I come from LARP. That was where I spend most of my time. And I'm getting, I'm excited this summer because I'm actually going to go to like, hopefully if all things stars align, I want to go to Dragon Thrones, which is one of those like immersion LARPs mm -hmm. or like even in Poland, the, the Convention of Thorns LARPs. And I really want to go test these LARPs out because I've been doing seventh age LARPs out here in Chicago where we get like a hundred players. We're arguably one of them more in Indiana and we get players from like four states that all come in. We do once a month full immersion type game. And it's been like, I mean, the, the quality that players bring in the story and drama that they've been bringing to the game is, is great. But you've been going to, correct me if I'm wrong, organization LARPs more, whereas I'm sort of a troop ST. I've got a troop uh, game for the Dark Ages that's sort of related to an org. But yeah, I've been trying to check out some of the orgs. I have twofold experience. One is that it's epic. It's awesome. It's, it's cool to go out there, checking out these LARPs, getting involved in role-playing, and the people are all really friendly. The atmosphere has all been really good. Everybody, you know, is, I was really surprised when I brought my phone out and was like, I'm recording everything. You know, is that cool? Nobody's told me to hear that they didn't want to be recorded. In general, I have any gamer that's out there that hasn't tried LARPing, I would, I would suggest to go to a troop game or to a, a local org or, you know, my best suggestion if you're just getting into it and you can do it is go to a convention and go to one of the, the LARPs that are set up um, at conventions as they're usually very new player friendly type stuff. The second half that I have about LARPing though is that I almost feel like there is a barrier of warding around LARPs. I come from the tabletop community. That's twofold is one, I think that the organization games are very much you're part of the org or you're not part of the org. Mm -hmm. And not every troop is the same and you're going to find different players in every, every bit. But if you are, I have found that if you're an experienced player, you know, your rock, paper, scissors, you know, your clan politics, and you can whip status around like the next person. If you walk into an organization game, new out of the blue, you're going to be a threat. Uh, uh, whether it be Obi-Wan, whether it be the Camarilla, whether it be Underground Theater, uh, they will love you and embrace you and you will get all the experience nominations in the world, 
until they realize that, oh shit, this guy can kill us. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I think that there's still a bit of uh, growing because I, LARP as a whole was a dying commodity. It was a dying community. When World of Warcraft came out, it arguably shut down most major LARPs. Oh, to anybody who's out there running LARPs, it feels like a lot of LARPs are not ready for new players. They're, they don't, the GMs don't have time, but I feel like what a, what a lot of it is, is the concept of you come into a LARP and they're like, either you know what the hell you want to do, or just sit in a corner and do nothing for a while. There's, there is a, yeah, there is a solution to this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is a thing for any, any storyteller that's, that's listening. There are companies that if you think that White Wolf LARPs are going to remain the heyday of the LARPing communities uh, and that these organizations are going to survive when organizations that are putting recruitment, drive, effort, and immersion at the forefront of their business model, Nation, Nation is doing with all their dystopia rising games, uh, you know, and their like battleship games. Take a look at, you know, Dragon Throne and the collective studio behind that or uh, Desire Back. LARP studios or Magic School of Prep Academies. There's all these different LARPs that are sort of making up to Destination LARP. And for your regular weekly LARP, if you want to absorb and have new players, if you get a group of players come in, or even a brand new player, dedicated storyteller for your new players. Yes. Period. Sorry if I'm just that. No, you're, 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 that, that that's it. You that's have, it. When I do my when I do my full immersion LARPs uh, and I do my seventh age LARPs, I have four months before the game even starts for its ten week run, talking and working and crafting things with every player, and then when the game starts, we have somebody and we have storylines and plot lines and events and uh, freaking props and things to do for the new players. We will help them get into costumes. We will help them, you know, here's your character, here's your motive, here's your things, and here's how you changed the world at yes. the end of it. Because the other thing you can do, if you really want to drive up player enthusiasm and get player retention to be a thing, and also incorporate them into the main sort of game click that may already exist, Shine a spotlight and show how that player's actions, for better or worse, has changed the storyline of the game and have a laugh at it. Yes. Yes. You may be a brand new caitiff that has come into the game and fucked up and then got your head chopped off. Maybe you're blood bonded to the prince now, but you know what you did? You screwed over the Toreador's entire plot line and it was completely fucking random. Congratulations. This is us now storyline of the game. Thank you for being involved and thank you for contributing. You know, Absolutely. Thank you, players, for contributing. Give them, give your new players the attention. And there are players who sometimes will feel very nervous or socially anxious about playing like a live action or even their first vampire game. You know, somebody comes into a game that hasn't had a chance or has like the wealth of experience and is getting there. It's storyteller work with them is to help them in a manner that they are comfortable with do things in a way so that they feel like they are engaged and that storyteller helps facilitate that. Your assistant storyteller is doing character sheets. Your head storyteller, he's got 50 different people chiming his ear off about some scene or some rules call or some side scene with some NPC that's got to be run or some player that they got to go kill in a kill box. Even though the, the head storyteller always means well, they don't have the time 
Um, right. Because in, in LARPs, uh, I have found the ratio to be that you want one storyteller for every eight players. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, 10 is what we do. And my personal game system that I run with combining LARP and tabletop, for me, it's, it's about this concept of I come from tabletop. I'm used to having my GM right fucking there. Right there, every second of every gaming moment that I do something. You have to remember that player agency, and it's a collaborative experience. It's not a one-sided, hey, I'm the storyteller, this is my game, you know, you guys are here for, for me. It's, hey, I'm putting on this show, and I want you guys to direct the outcome. So, like, if you ever got told, like, hey, you can't change your character sheet and you're a new player, uh, you know, that's a storyteller that, you know, I would argue, say, hey, listen, guy, what's your goal here? You know, you can say no without being a dick, but that's a very fine learned lesson that storytellers need to sort of take that onus upon themselves. Mm -hmm. But you also brought up one thing as well, that something that you and I both have in common, and I think how we even started talking, was that you and I both run a hybrid tabletop live action experience. Mm -hmm. What I did, I'm going to tell you what I do with mine. And then, you know, you tell me about yours and we see where our similarities are, because I bet you, even though we've only met at midwinter, you know, I bet you that even in our own little fishbowls, we've created something arguably very similar. So in the seventh age game, what I do is I have a once a month main LARP game that is run by some storytellers, friends of mine out in, in Indiana, and players play princes, courtiers, nobles, rulers of, of their various domain within the seventh age setting, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, like I'm a vampire prince of Appalachia. I, you know, maybe like a, you know, like a demon that rules over Memphis or whatever the case you know, may be in the world, but they have their, their thing. You come to the game, you are in White Wolf terms, they are all princes, right? It's like a conflict. They meet up once a month and they do this. And then they're all part of, a, of another faction, whether it be like, hey, we're all part of this kingdom or we're all part of this kingdom. There's different kingdoms. And at the in between each LARP session, they will go back and have a private five player tabletop session or six player tabletop session where they will have an adventure with their lords, their NPCs, or the people that they rule over. Uh, and like they have their own personal storylines and plot lines and a political agenda for them as a tabletop group so that when they go to the LARP, there has motive, reason, and goals every single game session. And if let's say at the LARP, they want to be like real reserved and like not tip their hand, they can go to the tabletop session and be like, I'm going to do all this ninja stuff. The LARP and they want to call somebody out, they could go to the LARP and be like, Nah, we've arranged it all on tabletop, get nuked, you know? <laughs> and they can have this sort of like back and forth. And then once a year, we do a mega session where we invite all of the players from all of the games that we run into a big giant Sammy event. And that is the one where we draw like people from like four states. And that one, what I do is I recruit people that have never played LARP before. And I say, okay, guys, none of you have ever played before. I need 50 actors to come play criminal underworld NPCs. Very cool. Dedicated storyteller to work with each of them to bring them all in once a year to put on this big immersion experience. So that's the game that I arguably run 
majority of my time, whether it be tabletop or LARP or the mega game or prepping for that. That's my weird hybrid experience. What's yours? Wow. Um, wow. So I, f I feel like we have tapped into something together. Thing came from going to a LARP at Gen Con mixed LARP of, of World of Darkness, uh, fairies, vampires, mages, werewolves, and I was, or I was kinfolk, changeling-blooded, dreamspeaker mage, who... Oh, you Samuel, hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't make this character. I walked in, they said this was built around this character, and the person didn't show up. The whole game was uh, supposedly designed around the one character that I played. And... So I walked into this LARP, um, but I noticed one thing was that there, you know, I, st I still felt that the new player experience was a little bit lacking. I still felt that the, um, that there, you just didn't have the ability to talk to a GM really, you know, just when you have 40, 50 players and you've got two or three GMs, it can be really hard, especially when they're running scenes for two or three people. What I ended up seeing though there that just blew my mind was seeing a werewolves um, the leadership council sit at a table for three days at the LARP and I said well Table toppers aren't gonna fucking believe this. They won't believe that werewolves could sit at a table and not fight For an entire three-day LARP and go out and be adventurous and stuff And so I got this idea of why don't I do the leadership? The second thing that I wanted to do was ensure that we had a um, a pre-made characters with concepts and goals and history and it was you know you're not a newcomer to the city you are one of the rulers of the city um so if you're playing mage you are the leader of the celestial choir and there's like five or six maybe you know if you're the order of hermes you've got like 20 members or 30 members of the 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 house that are all npcs all underneath you likely not even going to be talked about. I've got this huge mage chart that like details out what every cabal is, where they belong on the spectrum. And, and, uh, you're doing you're doing the same thing. You're giving your players a chance to play leaders of a role. And um, I'm going to hit you with a very pointed question here about player responsibility, right? Because it leads into our next question of advice for players, mm -hmm. right? So have you found that the moment you gave players control and full player agency by being a leader over their own organization, increased player buy-in and responsibility over their character's motives. Yeah, I found I found it really interesting that giving them you you hand over that character sheet, you've got all of this information, and then they just make it their own and they run with it and they do you know, you're not constrained by that. We give you the plan. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure if the plan's gonna work. I'm not, sh you know, like I've I've tried to make it so that I've built these plans for everybody that's kind of intermingled with each other. Everybody's got secrets or knows each other. Um, but the point of the plan is not for you to say, okay, A plus B equals C, and then and then you're done. No, I want you. You've got A and B, but you're gonna have to do all the other letters of the alphabet and figure out what the hell you know, equation we've actually got here. Uh, these players are lead are still playing the leaders, though, of these other NPC mages that are on their sheets, right? Yes, they are definitely the leaders. And in this, and they're getting invested in what they're doing. And correct me if I'm wrong, you have the werewolf table doing what they're doing. You have mm -hmm. the vampire table doing what the vampire table's doing. Yep. And then I can predict 
that based off the outcome of these mini mega events that you have at the end of the con, people are going to come back together for a final wrap up session and talk about what happened and then come to a decision and see where the world stood and maybe even have a vote among all of you guys to see which faction quote unquote won or came out ahead. Um, kind of. Uh, we do a little bit more collaborative type thing. They made the Gahara pack of Madison. This is the supernatural pack to fight the nameless. We are going to fucking stop this. We are not going to let him break the wheel. And so they all have their meetings. Um, so in Gen Con, we did a voting meeting. So you had to vote for who was going to be the representative of the pack. And just a real quick note, we only run at Gen Con currently. That's the only time that you will advance our story we've messed around we're going to be at origins and at midwinter uh doing smaller stuff where it's just um possibly a 10 player game four hours get you into character get you getting to know these characters you can also come to our con and or to our game like let's say uh we already had this happening let's say you come to our game you play a character you liked it it was fun you come to the next one you didn't sign up you didn't pick out your stuff ahead of time you didn't get the character you played last time we don't fucking care grab something else we got plenty of characters for you to play i know there's some secrets there's some things in there that you shouldn't know but we we want our players to have fun and if you know out of game shit um if you're gonna use it use it funly you know have have a good time when you're actually uh using that out of game knowledge don't use it to fuck people over this is not oh, a game yeah, I mean, you can That's... fuck people over, but do it in-game, not out of So, uh, uh, I will flip the tables and interview you again Woo. before you ask me the same question. It's for players. Um, my advice for players is to drop the fear factor. Um, you know, don't don't be afraid to do stuff. Don't be afraid to speak up. Um, I, as I'm recording a lot, I've noticed that I just talk all the fucking time. Um, but I would say players need to really be able to just grab what you're doing, have fun with it, um, use use your out-of-game knowledge to enhance your in-game character, um, and do a lot of stuff that you really want to do, and don't be afraid to talk, don't be afraid to speak up, to tell a story, um, because as, as I was saying, I, I, I'm a person who talks too fucking much. I need to, I need to check <laughs> myself and ensure that I don't... Uh, override people or interrupt people because i've always got these you know I, i'm listening to somebody and then all of a sudden I'll, i have an idea and i'll be like oh, stop i have to tell you real quick let me let me just and then all of a sudden we're off on a tangent and you know we're not where we were supposed to be but i try and always bring it back but in any case be like me talk say something i would rather have people talking and interrupting me and you know building a conversation with a group of people than having a gm just talk for everybody who's listening, what he just did was what we call that tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Where you just went on a tangent about having tangents. I'll have you know. Yes. Uh, uh, my advice for players uh, that I've picked up over the years in, in trying to do different storytelling styles, whether it be like, you know, narrative, uh, ex uh, experimental, uh, obstructionist, all the different styles of GM that are out there. Um, really comes from whether I'm running Deadland, Shadow, uh, Shadowrun, Rifts, uh, you know, Savage World settings, White Wolf, D&D, uh, running at cons, running at LARPs, running for your best friends at the tables. Up. One thing 
always stands out from time and time again. Have conviction in what you are doing. Mm. Yes. When you have a character, uh, if you've seen Helsing Ultimate build Alexander Anderson, don't build a character who's like, yeah, you know, just kind of walks around and does a little bit of nothing and a little bit of everything. Be convicted in your character. It will cause strife and drama and action and have a far more engaging tale if your character has convictions that they have to adhere to rather than be somebody who's sort of just wishy-washy and um, sort of uh, tries to compromise with, with everybody. And in fact, right now I'm playing a game where I have a character with very strong convictions and it's ruffling people's feathers because I'm not giving up that vampires are bloodthirsty creatures that drink the blood out of people. Uh, that's why I love Sabat, right? I think Sabat are make way better characters than the Camarilla mm -hmm. because on a whole, Sabat are gonna make more convicted characters. It's literally a stat on a sheet. Um, but, you know, just having conviction allows you to have instant drive out of the box. And that wraps around to what we talked about at the start of this podcast. The reason you love Shadowrun, you're getting into the moment you sit down. So when you build a character as a player, do the same thing. Build a character with conviction and you know what you're getting right out of the box. And you have a moral guideline and a framework for you to react to any scenario from that very narrow lens. And as you grow as a player, you can add more lenses to that character and develop the character further. But it's the same thing that you use in writing. It's the same thing you see in serial TV. It's the same thing you see in uh, movies uh, and any other form of pop culture entertainment. Uh, a character starts off with a very simple one-line dialogue that drives them to be the protagonist of a story uh, and then ends up with multiple layers later on. So why would you build a character with a weak starting line? If the first paragraph of a book doesn't catch you, you usually put it down. And if your character doesn't grab you because they're a boring character, don't play them. Awesome. Yeah, that is great advice. Um, and uh, one real quick side thing, too, is um, as GMs need to read their players, players need to read their GMs. Um, you know, you've GMs, some GMs are going to be running things a lot differently um, than other GMs. Uh, I'm a very open, do whatever you want GM type thing. You Collaborative experience, right? If the GM's not happy with it, the GM needs to be able to say no. If the players want to do something, the GM needs to remember that he doesn't have a game without his players. And it's a thing that you guys are doing together for one final fun three-letter word, which is fun. Like, yes. If you're not having fun at the end of the day, what the hell is the point of the escapism? So if you could uh, do anything in the, uh, the, the world of gaming, what would it be? Um, if I could do anything in the world of gaming, I would definitely... Um, I would love to run something similar to what uh, I think Chris Pratt does, or, you know, the, the televised GMing, you know, an audience listening, uh, watching, you know, live, and having that whole... Um, just theatrical experience inside of a game on a stage. I want to run my technocracy game uh, is what I would like to do in the world of gaming. The one where all players are, where we run to fix other people's broken world of darkness games. Uh, but um, no, truth be told, I guess if I had to think about it, I would um, want to 
be involved with the coming renaissance of full immersion LARPs mm. that are spawning out. Like the the work that like the people put in like the Convention of Thorns, and it's in Poland and it's great and it's far away, but it's expensive. We need to bring that over here to the States, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like these games, uh, I would like to see um when White Wolf would host their 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 parties, like their big convention games, uh, you know, just seeing come back into the you know social heyday of this is our community. Uh, we're a bunch of geeks and dorks that freaking love this, and we have a mutual love of vampires. Let's play a game together and have some fun, and you know, have a few drinks while we're at it. Yeah, absolutely. That would be awesome. Uh, and for anybody that does listen to this, I want to write on the next Wraith. Oh my god. That would be... I, I would... I'd read that... I'd buy that book uh, the second that I'm I a, saw a Kickstarter <laughs> for it. I'm a, I'm a writer, guys. Uh, you know, I, I do things. If you're reading this, just, just go ahead and email me, crankybolt.gmail.com. Like, hey, Wraith, we heard you love Wraith. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so any uh, any other general thoughts or any other uh, concepts that you've uh, that you want me to put out onto the the interwaves? Well, I have um, uh, every week on Geek and Sundry's article uh, page. Uh, there's an article about GM tips. It comes out on Monday morning at 8 a.m. Uh, or sorry, 10 p.m. Central Time. Uh, but um, every Monday it's GM tips. Uh, there's a whole article series about uh, you know, how to be a good storyteller, both sides of the GM screen, psychology at the table, how to run LARPs, here's different tools you could have, uh, links, hot links, videos. Um, every week there's a new article. Currently I'm starting to talk about running games online, you know, how to run a game on Discord, uh, how to run a game through Roll20, uh, and tips and tricks and things like that. And what we do is we, we pull from the community. So if you're somebody that you think you're doing something different or you've got a good edge or things like that, feel free to reach out. I will totally cover you guys and uh you know be like hey this is what you know these guys are doing over here here's what's working from home learn from their experiences so that's the main one and if you want to read some violent post-apocalyptic uh urban fantasy uh you know and see what happens when a group of anarchists give magic to everybody in the world uh read my novel uh the seventh age dawn uh and pix which is about a vampire taking revenge on video game trolls um uh both of those are out and i'm working on the sequel uh right now sweet yeah audible uh your book on audible was awesome um i i i have problems reading and writing and i'm I'm an orator i i prefer the oral tradition of old um and um, all you newfangled writers and you guys are all special i suppose but i i like to write i try I fail miserably. My editors hate me whenever I write, um, but sometimes I put out some good stuff and I have fun with it. Um, so I really enjoyed listening to your book on Audible um, and anything else that you put out there orally, uh, you know, whether it's your work or somebody else reading your work, um, I would uh, love to see get more of that. So um, including that, if you could send me anything uh, that you've got for links that you want me to include on the episode, um, if you've got uh, any material that, that I could review, um, you know, especially Audible, t- 
type stuff or anything that's audio oriented. Um, give me your. I'm working on the audio for Pixplux right now. So uh, I, I, I being behind the cons and, and the table for a bit has really taught me that it's like, you know, there's, I like audible format. I mean, you know, I'm a writer and I do all of my reading uh, the old fashioned way. Uh, audible books have a, um, that there's a whole different feel to them and I like it too. Mm -hmm. So, um, but thank you for the praise. Did you leave a review? That's a question. Um, yes, I did, uh, did do, um, wondering if I wrote a review. It definitely did star it for sure. Um, I think I wrote some of a review for it. Uh, let me check real quick here. Uh, the sure. fun part about, uh, the, the, the downside about being an author is that we live and die by people clicking that review button. Yeah, no, I, uh, so that's actually one quick question that I had for you. I, I forgot that I wanted to talk to you about this was what, how do you, um, advertising, talking to people, telling people to, to hit the like button, uh, these types of, uh, things. I'm not used to it. I'm not really, I don't know where my, uh. Uh, where the to draw the line on um, posting stuff on Facebook or you know trying to self advertise or you know just bringing my uh, stuff up in in casual conversation. Um, do you have any tips for people that are trying to be uh, you know podcasters, writers, stuff like that? Because I I'm not quite sure how best to get my stuff. I want to make a lot of stuff. But it feels like nobody wants to listen to my stuff. And so I'm trying to get over that by just making the material, putting it out there, um, you know, talking about it when I can, trying to not be overbearing about it, but find things on Facebook that match me. Um, you know, one of the things I want to do is go around and review all the LARPs so that I can get interactive with those LARPs and make sure that... That's, that's uh, the, the, the best way to do it is... Twitter is a no-go. It's oversaturated. It feels like a bunch of authors just begging everybody to buy each other's books. Um, the truth is, is that, you know, if I had the answer to something like that, you know, like I would be a, you know, far larger gamer. Uh, uh, I wouldn't change anything because I still play Diablo and I still freaking wouldn't change a damn thing. But the, the, the truth is, is that find a community and just be genuine and, and be yourself. Like it, when it comes to advertising, but you, you've met me at Midwinter because I'm a vampire player and I'm there like, hey guys, I have this book that if you like the world of darkness, you're going to like this shit. Um, you know, but when I'm not behind my booth, I am just playing games like everybody else uh, or running a dread game. Uh, you know, like there's, uh, you, you go, you, you, you put the money where you need to put the money. Um, I find that if you're launching a Kickstarter or if you're doing some sort of crowdfunding, that's when it's okay to go shake down your Facebook, you know, like, hey guys, I'm doing this thing, you know, please help. That's what your friends are for, um, you know, in, in regards of, of like, yeah, I can help or at least share it or post it and spread the news and, and get excited for a project. But overall, when it comes to sort of like a viral thing, Go to other podcast tours, uh, go talk to other people on podcasts, like me talking to you. And then in turn, I talk about you like, hey, look at this game, you know, Crossing, uh, you know, Darkness, look at what they're doing at Gen Con. You know, like, uh, as you do exactly what you're doing by interacting with other content creators um, and finding that common ground, 
uh, it, it, it spreads. Now, I could talk a lot about authorship and like how to get out there as an, as an author. Um, and it is very, very, very hard. I mean, just this week, I've gotten uh, two rejection letters, uh, you know, but you will end up with a stack of hundreds of them mm-hmm. uh, before you finally get one published, you know. Um, have to keep trying, you know. Uh, remember, you're doing it for the passion of creating the content. Uh, because otherwise any other reason is going to leave you with a very hollow feeling. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. Don't do it for the rich and famous. It's the, you know, you're just just trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just do it for, just do it for your love. Find your community, get your stuff in in line and have a good time while you're doing it. And at least know that you are something positive out there. Definitely. Because when you, when you create a media for somebody to consume and enjoy and escape from the daily stress of life, whether it be storytelling as a medium, novels, podcasts, art, uh, when you create content, you know, you allow us to, to pause from the daily aspect of life. And so you're doing something. So just be happy with that and put it out there. Talk to people. Word of mouth works. And if you really have something that you want people to listen to, uh, either either do live radio sessions at a convention is a great way to pick up a bunch of people, um, but also uh, it's going to come when you have a, a library of work. I think it's for novels, it's uh, you have to have three books. For uh, podcasts, I think it's like when you're starting to get past your like hundredth episode. Mm-hmm. No, that that, that makes sense, and that's and that almost is linked up with the the concept of LARPing and stuff. It's it's sometimes it's about the slow roll. Um, and that's, you know, you need to build up a lot of your stuff, build up your work, build up your trust. Um, you know, same thing when you're going to a new LARP or something, you got to build up, you know, to a certain degree. Um, I still believe that a, you, there could be some really good new player experience stuff out there uh, that just is waiting to be done. Like you said, have a storyteller for your new players is key. Um, but I really, really like that idea of, uh, you know, just put your stuff out there just keep on trying just keep on doing and eventually you know um you you might get somewhere um you might not but you know it's it's like you said don't do it for the rich and fame do it because you love it and you know like when i got my first comment on my that podcast like such corny advice when you actually because that's what everybody says and i was like okay what about something realistic uh okay here's a funny bit of realistic that doesn't sound like a cheesy hollywood tagline you'd find on a motivational poster um <laughs> Uh, if you want something realistic is do the fucking work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the truth is, is that it comes down to, it takes you, we've been recording this podcast for a bit now. You have post-production, you have editing, you have things to do to cut and trim and, and you know, slice out stuff. I spend eight months out of the year constantly writing. Um, if you don't put in the work, you will never produce a product that people want to consume. And that also sounds like cheesy advice. So another cheesy, uh, uh, non-cheesy one, I guess, is uh, don't use Twitter. Don't use Twitter. That's uh, that's some good advice because Twitter does suck. I've messed around with it a little bit, but I'm a little. Somebody did tell me this one. It's like, listen, don't use a social media platform. If you're not already on there, don't even freaking bother. Uh, yeah, unless know, it's what like, you do, like if you Twitter all day long, then yeah, add add Twitter to your. You probably already are. So, before I let you go though, real quick, 
have you ever reached out to people that you thought were uh, famous or somebody that you've met that uh, you thought was really popular or whatever? And just how do you feel as a person if you've ever reached out to people like that? Or uh, have you ever received similar to what I did to you where, you know, I'm just, you seem like a, a popular, you know, author, stuff like that to me. Um, and so I'm intimidated to even talk to you to a certain degree. Um, have you ever been on the other side of the road of that? Is this a new experience for you? Somebody saying that to you? It's the first time anybody's ever said anything like that to me. Uh, I have absolutely been on the other side of that spectrum all the time. You can imagine my nerves and the way my hands were white knuckled and shaking when I applied to write for Geek and Sundry. And the first editor that I had there uh, made me pitch and write 16 different stories before one was accepted. Um, and I reached out to him and then they wanted me to write with Satine Phoenix. Um, and Satine is on like, she, she does the host of the show. She does Maze Arcana. She runs all these things. She's out in LA. And I was like, oh wow, she's actually famous. Okay. Um, nervous, nervous, nervous. And I talked to her on a thing about Google Hands and was like, oh, hey, wait, how did you start gaming? Oh, well, I was in high school and uh, I just didn't have anybody to play with. So I carried around the player's handbook with me. How about you? Well, I was in high school. I had nobody to play with. I carried around a player's handbook with me. Uh, you know, and uh, gaming was the great common unifier uh, that, that equalized uh, that thing. But uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you get and that's the beautiful thing about the geek community is that oh, to any content creator uh, within the gaming geek community that I found, I have not run into a, a, a problem yet. Uh, you know, the writer of Requiem, she was you know beautiful uh, in in like her, her wisdom and advice was we're all passionate about the same damn thing and we've all rolled dice. <laughs> So, you know, like there's logistics, there's things to talk about, and there's different stories uh, that you'll hear just by talking to other uh, people that, you know, spend the time at conventions actually talking with the guys behind, uh, you know, uh, go to, you know, find the artist alleys and you'll never, you'll, you'll be surprised at how many people are freelance writers or uh, artists for the two things. Charles Urbach was at Midwinter. He's done art for so many different things, uh, like Magic the Gathering and Legend of the Five Rings and all of these other uh, things. He's a freaking icon in the field, and he will talk your ear off for, for eight hours with sage wisdom and advice of, you know, the workings of the universe. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, I, get, uh, I get the same nerves, uh, the same... And there's a story that I have. I can relay this one story real quick before I got to go. Okay. And here is, this story is how I got over the fear of talking to famous people. So by day, I'm an electrician, right? So I worked all in and out of Chicago underground tunnels, above things, Chicago Board of Trade, high voltage power lines, all kinds of things. And as part of this, I used to do concert lighting. So I've been to concerts since I was 17 years old, uh, and I've always been doing concert lighting, rigging, setting, you know, uh, running up the lighting boards and things like that. And I was working outside of the Bottom Lounge, and uh, I'm a big Fear Factory band, uh, fan. I love Fear Factory, I'm a giant metalhead. <laughs> and for years, 
I mean, I, I grew up on Fear Factory when I was 14 years old. I, I have idolized them, listened to all of their CDs, music, and everything. And I'm standing out there, and I have not seen them live in person or anything like that. And I'm excited as crap that I'm at a freaking Fear Factory concert. I'm outside smoking, and I'm nervous, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just out there, and I'm there super early because I was working, and I was talking to another fellow metalhead. And we were talking about Diablo 3. Uh, and he was like, dude, that is awesome. I didn't know about that hack. Hey, do me a favor. I got my laptop right here. Do you mind coming and showing me this thing uh, with, uh, you know, this, uh, the, this, this, this monk? And I'm like, oh, uh, let's go. Let's go. And he invites me on the tour bus. And I didn't realize it was their new freaking bassist. <laughs> Holy shit. And so I, at that point, realized I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're all gamers and geeks. Every like, and I'm like, that's it. I'm just sticking with, uh, you know, the thing. Uh, and and that right there, it, it proverbially blew my mind, and also was a very grand experience. I uh, I got to play pool with the guy from Ailstorm, you know, uh, and you know, over at Stage Eighty Three here in, in 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 Chicago, and he was a great person, just hanging out with the people that just want to have a good time. Um, there's a action that geeks and gamers have if they're hitting the same circuits, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Definitely awesome. What stopped me from uh, having stage fright of approaching common interest with. That's interesting. It's like, uh, you know, it's like you're, you're standing next to a face famous person, you're talking to them, and you don't realize who they are, and all of a sudden you look over and you're like, oh. You're somebody that I know of from the TVs, or you know, from from the stage, or from from the music. That is that is cool, dude. Yeah, that's my story. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for doing this interview with me. Um, definitely one of the highlights of my life uh, right now. Um, really trying to get this off the ground. So I'm uh, super excited. Well, maybe in the future, uh, we'll be uh, running a technocracy game together. Absolutely. Uh, anything you want to work with me on, just hit me up anytime. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on, and I look forward to seeing your game at Gen Con this year when I stop by to play. Sweet. Awesome. And that is all for our episode of Crossing Darkness today. Um, stay tuned for more bonus episodes and more interviews and reviews on uh, different games out there. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a great night.